We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. I am Megan Weiskup with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome to She Goes Outdoors. Much of the United States, maybe more so in the northern half, has officially froze over. Uh, today, I look outside the window, ground blanketed with snow and ice. Megan and Rachel, how does it look out your window in Iowa? Yeah, we're definitely seeing the, the same thing over here. I know I'm looking out my window right now and there's huge piles of snows and some snowmen that neighbor kids have made, but we are going to warm up a little bit, it sounds like, the next couple of days. So we'll probably have a, a messy slushy mess just in time for Christmas. Yeah, same here, same here. It's it's getting a little slushy, which is okay. I was, I'm not sure I was ready for that blanketed ice snow to stay forever and you know by now by December it's typically it is frozen um, but you know I suppose it's time that we embrace the winter solstice maybe by the time some of the um, our listeners are hearing this we are in the winter solstice and you know with that said my motivation and I think perhaps maybe you're the same is our motivation of what we're going to do outdoors shifts a little bit um, what I enjoy about the warm sun in the middle of the winter is it does, it reflects off the white ground, the ice, and it just has that different shine to it that's really um, enjoyable to see. And the bright sun seems to make my kids and I want to be more active and no matter what the temperature is outside. And what I have experienced kind of shifting a little gear there is small animals embrace the warm sun and the snow as I do. And so in a roundabout way, this leads me to this week's episode on small game hunting, <laughs> kind of a different segment, but it is, it's small game season, small game hunting season. And as, even as I look out my window, I see a squirrel scurrying across the trees. It's cold, but the sun is out and he is scurrying across the trees. We're not necessarily talking today on the how-tos, how-to small game, but we're talking the why small game hunting. And I'm going to lead this into Megan. Will you introduce our guest today? Most definitely. Uh, we're super excited to have this person. Not only has she been a, a wonderful resource and a colleague, but she's definitely became a, a good friend to all of us here um, with She Goes Outdoors as well. And that's Samantha Petter. Um, she's the Director of Operations with the Council to Advance Hunting and the Shooting Sports. And that organization's definitely been leading the way in, in pulling together industry and agencies and, and our non-governmental partners like our friends at Feds Forever and National Wild Turkey Federation that have been really engaged um, with us and, and helping us do a lot of workshops and, and webinars and, and podcasts for you guys out there listening. They, they definitely have been looking a lot into that why and really starting to help um, lead the conversation in, in the direction for for all of us that work in the kind of the professional realm that are kind of addressing some of these 
topics and and trends and participation in the outdoors, specifically with hunting and shooting sports. So super excited to have Samantha on today and, and her wisdom um, in this area and to, to share a little bit about all game hunting um, and its impacts and, and definitely get into the meat and potatoes of the topic. So welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you ladies. So Sam, those, those of us with She Goes Outdoors, understand what you do, where you're from and and all that goodness. So for our listeners, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, director of operations and counsel to advance hunting in the shooting sports. It's it's a mouthful to say, and, and we know that you do a whole wealth of, of different things. Um, but for our listeners, you want to break it down and, and give us the, uh, the quick and dirty about what all goes on? Absolutely. Well, first, it's pretty awesome to be able to sit down with friends Oftentimes on podcasts, you know people, but you don't, you haven't stayed at their houses or broken bread and, you know, other beverages with friends. So it's kind of cool to have this opportunity. So thanks for having me. So lots of words to describe, you know, one meaning, recruitment, retention, reactivation, council and its title and, and director of operations. But at the core of it, everything we do is focused on getting people outdoors and keeping them active once they're out there. Um, I can go into so much detail, but really that's at the heart of what we do. And how I got here in this position, you know, I'm a hunter myself. I'm an avid hunter, I think is what we would call ourselves. It's played a key role in the development of my my career as a professional, but also like my lifestyle. And so when we talk about R3, recruit, reach, and reactivate, I was recruited as a small game hunter and a turkey hunter and a deer hunter. I was retained, I think um, there's a really cool drop not cool we have to address it but there's a drop in participation from age 16 to 20 and we saw this first in my experience with the game commission in pennsylvania teenagers lapse out and we started to do some research with them and we're like why are they lapsing out at this age and it's because of college because boys or girls whichever you have you jobs and vehicles etc and so i i thought back to like kind of that portion of my life and at age 16 and 17 which at that point in my life you know my participation in hunting was not as much of a priority in my life as maybe it is today. So had it not been for, you know, diversity in my hunting experiences, not just big game and going to deer camp one time a year, but participating in small game hunts and squirrel and pheasant hunts too. Pheasant with my friends, that was a key aspect too. That kept me as an active hunter into college years. And so I was pumped to talk about this aspect, both of small game and of female participation, because I, I, I live that story. So it's a cool topic to discuss and I'm here because I'm a hunter. I'll be working to keep more hunters outdoors as we go forward. It's absolutely amazing that your job and what you're doing and helping us all continue to move that dial. Are you currently in Washington, D.C. or Pennsylvania or where are you at? So I'm in uh, Pennsylvania for the holidays. We have about 15 inches of snow. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I won't complain about my three inches then. <laughs> yeah, we got it, it dumped on us the last 24 hours. Friends have been checking in from across the country reporting how much they have. And I think we're winning. The northeast states of Vermont and Mass might have a seat. But so far, Pittsburgh has gotten its share twice this year. I was Yeah, earlier during rifle season, about 10 days ago, we had about nine inches and it was like falling as I was hunting in the morning. It was awesome. It was so great to be outdoors. So yeah, I'm not a snow fan usually, but you know what? 2020, why not? I saw that on your Instagram, like the pre and deering on your your hunt, your deer hunt. And that was super cool to follow. 
Yeah. So, okay. So does this 13 inches of snow stop you from going outdoors or what do you do fun outdoors, even in the winter months or outdoor skills or hunts are you doing even in this given winter months? So um, we were looking at duck hunting tomorrow morning. Um, we have some areas around here that we've been eyeing up. We scouted early in the season, in the October early season, and we think the front of the snow has like mixed the birds up. And PA, you know, we don't get a ton of birds, but it's fun to pursue them anyway. We're not like the um, central flyer or, or anything like that. So duck hunting for sure. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, skiing and snowboarding, uh, getting outside and just time outside and not in front of a computer and, you know, Family are great, but also some time outdoors is also awesome. And um, a little known fact, I trap with my dad. Um, every other year, every couple of years, I, I get a chance to spend some time because it takes a couple of weeks in one place. And this year, without traveling and stuff, I'll be able to maybe set some trap lines. We'll see. It depends on, you know, weather and everything like that, too. And I was yeah. looking at the fur, fur market and stuff, and there's not, it's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> so, yeah, trapping maybe a little bit, too. You know, that, that trappy and I, that gets my brain working. We have a, a pasture, a grass pasture about a, a mile from us that um, a beaver has been very destructive to some trees in that pasture. So I'm thinking I'm going to follow that, your lead there and put some traps out and get one of the, get the creature that is creating a mess in our pasture. Absolutely. Well, that's because of COVID. I had a hunt around Pittsburgh instead of our tradition of going up to like the national forest in the northwest part of PA and so I've been tromping around this this area way more than I ever have and during this time of year and so I found a ton of places where you know coon scat was everywhere raccoon scat tidy not as much but definitely you know raccoons and I found one other crick for some muskrat potentially too so yeah and I think um um Rachel can definitely jump in here too but she can probably relate uh, with you a lot, Samantha, from growing up on the East Coast and, and from us in the Midwest, where a lot of our listeners are, you know, we're used to getting those those breaks of sunshine, like Julia said, and those sunny days where we're out on the East Coast, you don't get as much of that lovely sunshine coming down, especially the further up the, the seaboard you get on the, uh, the main Massachusetts area and all that. So definitely, Rachel, um, jump in here on, and talk a little bit about that kind of that transition. Yeah, actually, I, w- I was driving this morning uh, off to daycare, you know, normal Thursday. And as I was driving, I was talking to my mom who's in Massachusetts and they're getting Sam's snow. So they've, they've only, only gotten about seven inches of snow. So she was uh, talking about that, but I I was commenting how gray it was and how, how much I had forgotten um, this, this concept of, of not seeing the sun that we are so lucky in the Midwest that, that we do have our bluebird days. And, and I've lived in Colorado and it's, it's wonderful, but back East, you just feel like you're in this little snow globe and the sun just disappears in October and it reappears in March. Whole kind of cabin fever concept really is a, is an issue. And, and I just assumed everyone had a February and April break um, from school, but it turns out most people just have March breaks. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a fun realization. Today driving, I was remembered what it was like to live back east. So I am thankful for these bluebird days now. As the days got shorter and it started getting dark at four four thirty, I started looking at the estimated amount of daylight in a day, like the calendars that track it. Because when you're in one place for so long, it starts to hit you. I'm I'm used to nine o'clock daylight outside at night, and four o'clock was not my thing. It's a big deal. 
It really is. And me, I'm probably a little bit more out of the norm. I love going outside and, and playing in the with power toys in the wintertime. So definitely ex- super excited to, to get the snowmobiles out. If we weren't doing a, a huge COVID remodel, like so many people out there are doing, uh, we would have definitely been out last weekend when we got those seven and a half inches of snows because the, the trails definitely were open and, and folks were out. Diving back into kind of our, our topic today, um, we definitely know that hunting numbers in general have declined nationally. And um, in our profession, um, like with Julia and Rachel and and definitely what Sam does out there, we know that, you know, addressing this issue has become such a huge priority for us. Can you talk to us a little bit today about just the hunter decline in general that we've seen decades and especially the impacts that small game hunting has felt um, during during this time and then kind of what's being done to reverse some of those trends? For sure. So I'm going to focus in on hunting, but, you know, target shooting plays a role in this all too. But on the hunting side of it, you know, numbers have declined. And I I want to say pre-2020, okay, (laughs) because everything we talk about has a new phase that we as professionals are going to jump into in 2020 and beyond, 21 and beyond. So pre-2020, numbers were declining. Um, License sales were down across states. There's really a great source of data that we can use to look back um, longitudinally over a couple decades. So that's the one I'll cite the most, but that's a national survey of fishing, hunting, and wildlife associated recreation. And so on that survey, you know, they track hunters, wildlife watchers, and anglers. The number of hunters reported in uh, 2011 were 13.7 million hunters on the landscape. And in 2016, it was like 11.5. Now that number has fluctuated over the decades. 1980s was probably our high mark of license sales in the country. But, you know, we've grown our knowledge base about these numbers and stuff. The numbers help us understand what's going on, but it doesn't tell us the full story. So within that, that body of hunters, right, we know that there's some generational impacts going on. Baby boomers are a high percentage of hunters today. Perhaps after 2020, uh, millennials will take over and be the bigger portion of license sales. Um, We know that female participation within that, you know, just 11.7 million uh, participants, it's growing to be more females each year. And so that's a key aspect of what we do too. So we look at, you know, the volume of hunters, but we also look at, you know, who makes up the hunting demographic. And then we look at what they do. And that's a, a big thing too. So when I say I hunt to most people, cool, you go outside and spend some time outdoors. But like we just had a conversation earlier, I squirrel hunt, I duck hunt, I pheasant hunt, I deer hunt, I use a bow, I use a muzzle litter, I use a rifle, you know what I mean? I do so much in the category of hunting. We've learned to track that over time too. So when it comes to small game hunting and big game hunting, we've seen something drastically change in the last couple of decades. And that's the number of people who participate in small game hunting versus big game hunting has basically flip-flopped. Um, big game hunters, have only declined, only declined 14% of since 1991, according to that national survey, whereas small game hunters have declined 54%. That's significant. Um, if you think about, you know, we're always talking about the, how do we make a hunter? And you, you want to get them connected to recruit, retain, react base. So you want to recruit, you want to teach them basic skills. You want to keep them active. You want to you know, bring them back in. And small game is a vital part of that approach because there's more plentiful opportunities, more plentiful game, more cool stuff to do with the meat you harvest. I mean, there's a lot to it. So I'm glad we're diving into small game here and and maybe we'll inspire people, uh, listeners to mentor people to small game hunt. 
convince them to reactivate and get out on a small game hunt uh, over the Christmas holiday. And definitely, I'm sure um, we're just starting to see a glimpse of the impacts that COVID have had um, on reversing those trends. And I know specifically in Iowa, our hunting licenses and our fishing licenses are, are way up. And and I think a, a good chunk of those are um, small game hunters getting out there for more opportunities. I know I've been following a lot of our constituents groups out there. So we got an Iowa Upland bird hunting group, and it's been so cool watching all of them. They're they're using trackers, tracking how many miles their dogs are, are out there hunting and, and how many miles they're walking and stuff like that. And it's just um, crazy seeing the, the number of folks reporting. And and we've gotten some preliminary stuff in and, and harvest report too. So license sales are up, but we're also seeing that harvest report matching that increase and trends. So it doesn't mean they're just buying, they're getting out there and doing it. So it's, I mean, COVID is definitely of uh, given the opportunity of the time, which in, in my mind, still time seems to be one of the biggest barriers of getting out there just with so much going on. And, and it's, that's, I guess, if we want to look at one positive thing that we've gotten all of this is, is some of us have been given that gift of time and, and having that family and that, like you said, that social support so close and so crucial and, and the ability to, to get out there with you. Yeah, it's been like the perfect storm with 2020, you know, we've always said in our survey results that one of the top reasons people lapse or stop participating is because of time, a competition for time. You can't add a 25th hour to the day. And ladies, you've, you've had kids and you've grown in your careers since I've known you. And probably your time in the field has been impacted with babies and kids growing up, right? So that element of time hasn't been something that we as professionals or even as mentors could address. Bring along a pandemic and shut the world down and look what people go and do. So I'm looking forward to the research projects to kind of help us quantify, figure out what can we do to keep them active? How can we work on that time element? Maybe we'll figure out a 25th hour solution, but in the meantime, people are using the outdoors to de-stress and relax, and maybe we can remind them of that. And on the priority of things to do in life, keep hunting as like a one or two instead of making up five or six. So it turns out that there aren't enough episodes of Tiger King anymore, huh? We've uh, we've exhausted our Tiger King watching, and now we need something else to do. And and uh, I mean, Julia and Megan can also attest, and just being able to get out and and letting your kids run for those of us that are dealing with school at home and work at home and everything at home it is such a nice break to be able to get out and and just go crazy and get dirty and and have fun for ladies that are listening and gentlemen that are listening when we're talking small game kind of that that broad topic we're looking specifically at cottontail rabbits squirrels rough grouse quail and wild pheasants. That's kind of the the body of, of animals, species that we're focusing on. And that certainly fluctuates in the different states depending on what's available, what's in season, all that good stuff. Sam, you, you were talking about participation. Can you talk a little bit about female participation with, with our She Goes Outdoors podcast? We kind of focus a little bit more on, on females and, and their activities. You know, you're looking at data, permit sales, all that. What are you seeing out there for, for females specifically? For sure. So we know that the female segment of hunters is growing. Um, 10, 11% each year, the surveys have shown that uptick. And it depends on the state. See some regional trends, right? Both in the number of females, but also the age demographics of the type of females hunting. But it's a growing segment. And, you know, some of the research I've been a part of in the past has looked at the differences in female participation versus male. 
And what we saw was that, you know, after the first year of recruitment, females elapsed at a higher rate than their male counterparts. And usually their introduction to hunting is much more relationship-based, much more social. Um, they're going with significant others, with fathers, with brothers, whatever have you. And so once they stop that first year, we lose them. So we're not retaining them, right? So we recruit, but we don't retain. And so that retention aspect, you know, in, our, in all of our work has really been a focus. And I think that's why programs like yours are so great. And also partner groups like Artemis Sportswomen, Becoming an Outdoors Woman, um, whatever program on there dedicated to female resources. We've always had female programs, but what we haven't had is the female voice carried over for longevity, a year long kind of thing, right? Yes, we used to do one and done women programs. They could come and learn a suite of skills and you had this like group form. It became an annual event, but that was the only time they did it. One time a year, that's my hunting thing. I did it one time a year. Well, we know that they have to have it as part of their lifestyle to be active all the time. Programs like this and efforts and podcasts and um, social media channels and even clothing options are increasing too. Like there's this whole embracing of the female sector so that we can retain them. And, you know, with females come families, look at yourselves. So uh, there's an opportunity there and why they might be, you know, a huge asset as we look forward to keeping a higher number of participants active in 21 and beyond. Wealth of great information. And it's definitely been a fun ride. And I know a lot of our followers out there are, that are listening today and, and getting some kind of background on, on the trends and, and what we're seeing and, and kind of the, the issues. I mean, that's been kind of one of the biggest thing is just, you know, the, the general population just not aware of, of the decline and hunting's importance and the role of conservation and, and all that. So, um, I know we've seen a, a lot of interest from our our, our followers and our, our folks joining us with um, She Goes Outdoors on our journey this summer and fall as we've really ramped up and they're just starting to think about or maybe getting involved themselves. I know we've seen some great photos of our ladies out there harvesting their first pheasant and, and all that. So for those that are, are kind of on that fence and, and just kind of like, yeah, I'm not quite sure if I want to take that next step yet, or they don't really have that, that confidence or skills or someone to go with to make them more comfortable to get out there in the hunting field. What would you recommend um, those ladies that, that they can do to, to navigate that next step and, and to get out there? You know, that's a big question. <laughs> and I'm thinking, we'll go two routes. For the female that isn't coming from a hunting background, find some girlfriends and try to see if they'd like to go with. Um, if you don't know anyone that hunts or target shoots or anything, find someone to do it with you. Find that resource that can support you. It doesn't have to be your mentor. You can learn together, but some find somebody to do it with you because it'll be so much more fun. You know, we were talking about duck hunting. I've, I've deer hunted since I was 11 years old, 12 years old, technically. That's 20 years of my life now. I grew up with my dad and brother and, and having a hunting camp to go to. And it was fun. But um, there was a sense of like the accomplishment or necessary to harvest, accomplish something, right? But when I looked at like duck hunting, duck hunting is different and special for me because it's a place where I can grow my skill set. And, you know, uh, it was a firm of the moment thing three years ago. I picked up and went on our duck hunt in Arkansas. And I connected with some female hunters that to this day I still talk to. And that network of female hunters being able to say, like, here's this duck species I harvested. What kind of gun do you use? Because it's different for body frames of females versus males. It's a different element of my hunting experience. And I value that. Like, I have ducks with my brother now, but I brought him into it. He didn't teach me. I brought him in. So having that relationship with other females 
if I didn't come from a a background of hunting would be really critical. That's half the fun of hunting. The harvest is like the last thing we do, the experience, like my priority at least. The more people to do it with, I would highly recommend. Find a friend and drag him along with you. And if you come from a hunting background and you have someone like a dad, a brother, a sister, a grandmother, whomever that can teach you, try different things. Don't just try one activity. Try shooting a bow. Maybe bow hunting for you. Crossbows are cool too. But maybe upland uh, for small game, for pheasant hunting is your thing. Try different things because that's the other beautiful thing about hunting is that that big category and big phrase of hunting includes so many different things. So don't just give it a one shot and be done. Try different things. And it's okay. You can still call yourselves a hunter. Even if you are a pheasant hunter, you're not a deer hunter and a duck hunter. You're still a stinking hunter. So that's all that matters. I like that stinking hunter. You're still a stinking hunter. And and I like that because you, you, you see so much on I think we see so much on social media where there's this platform of women that look, they make themselves look very professional. You don't have to have that fancy gear. You don't have to make yourself all dolled up. I mean, seriously, just go out there and do what's comfortable for you. Uh, Find either that social group, like Sam has mentioned, or even go out with your family, take your kids out there and create that network that will make you comfortable. You know, I, I have learned through the Becoming an Outdoor Woman program and very fortunate to have learned from my coworkers. And now I'm taking that on to, yeah, I can't highlight any more about what you just told us, Sam. Find a friend that isn't going to question and they don't have to hunt. Tell them you're going to go hiking. I often say I'm going to go hiking with a gun. And people look at you even weirder than when you say that. But from me growing up, I understand what I need to do to go hiking. That process is already in my head. I need my boots. I need my pants, you know, whatever gear. But then I'm just going to take my gun. And if we happen to see a rabbit, if we happen to see a squirrel, then we're going to be processing this afternoon and, and maybe eating it for dinner. So, um yeah, I think this this topic is is such an awesome discussion because it really highlights that at the end of the day we're all people um, and we all have a shared passion or an enjoyment. So, um, Sam, you talked a little bit about your story and kind of how you, you you were you know grew up at deer camp as like the only girl there. How does for those of us like getting into it or, or, or hunting, how does small game hunting kind of play into the bigger journey of, of hunting? So I'll go scientific first. As a biologist, the populations of animals on the landscape, there's more small game than there is big game just because they're smaller. So um, your ability to spend time outdoors pursuing small game like squirrels. You can go on a squirrel hunt 50 days a year, whatever your season allows in your state. But a deer hunt, you might only have like one antlered tag for the year and that's it. And if you're, you know, you're an awesome hunter, you get it at nine o'clock before the end of opening day, you're done. So um, small game in that element of it is just more time outdoors. And if you're someone like me that, you know, fine, I need an excuse. I'm squirrel hunting. I'm waterfowl hunting. I am whatever hunting, you know, it gives you a reason there. Um, from the aspect of, you know, different types of hunting, small game hunting and and also waterfowl, but, you know, small game hunting can be more social at times. And it's great for kids. It's great for, you know, first time hunters with adults. If you think about, think about when you're harvesting a life, 
And that's a huge aspect, right? You are taking a life of an animal. Um, sometimes deer are something people connect with their dogs. They've seen Bambi, whatever it is. It's a big deal. You're harvesting at some, at sometimes a hundred plus pound animal. Well, squirrels are different. They are smaller and it's a good entryway for people to understand and grasp that concept too. So there's multiple aspects of why, you know, small game hunting is a good way to bring people into it. Um, on the other side of it for the retention aspect, more time to get them back into it and hunters to reactivate them. Um, there is something I'm leaning into is the, the baby boomer generation of hunters and they're aging. And we know like 72 is that golden age where they, they stop hunting a large percentage of them. I wanna say, take your grandkids hunting. And you know what? Squirrel hunting doesn't require you to hike the mountains. It doesn't require you to haul a bunch of equipment. You need a 22 or a shotgun and your kid in some orange. And that's a great way for people to just get back into it too. So those are the elements that, you know, it could play a role in the recruitment, retention, and activation process of a hunter. No, you bring up, you bring up some great points, you know, that just the, the I personally don't think I'm ready for deer. It, it's, it's a big animal. There's so many in my head, I can't wrap myself around getting over barriers that I've created. But small game hunting is fun. It's enjoyable. I enjoy sitting out there. I enjoy taking my nine-year-old with. Um, he makes the hunt, in my opinion. Um, uh, do we harvest? Not very often. <laughs> if we're actually doing this to provide, to put food on the table every night, um, we would be vegetarians at this point. But we... Uh, just spending that time out with him and, and seeing things from his eyes is as kind of revamped my interest and in, in love of doing it. So um, like you mentioned, just social values, just getting out and doing it. And it's kind of, ah, I'm ready to go now. And the season is longer. Uh, you know, deer, deer hunting, even turkey seasons, it's a pretty limited time span. Uh, going around the rut, the breeding seasons, um, conservation protection as far as limiting the numbers. Whereas, you know, our small game seasons, they're a lot longer. So for us, our females that, you know, we're busy, we're busy with families, we're busy with our professions, that allows us a lot more open time to get out there in the field. And, and you know, we discussed that a little bit earlier in this podcast as far as me, you know, I do, I live out, I live on a farm. So that gives us a lot more opportunity, especially my kiddos to be able to uh, get out there. And um, my son will jump out there with his 22 and look like Elmer Fudd. And as their parent, I can be out there, I'm supporting them, or I can even sit in the trays with them, or I can go to a public air, public access area. And just even the opportunities out there for a small and that habitat out there is a lot easier to to get to and, and be successful. For sure. And, and, you know, to talk about the female element here, I've always hunted with other people. It was around like age 2021, 20, you know, that I was in at back, back home in Pittsburgh. And I was like, I'm going squirrel hunting by myself because let's try it. And it's a confidence thing, you know? So I talked about, you know, I've always been a hunter. My avidity over my lifetime of hunting has changed, but also my confidence level as a hunter has changed too. And small game hunting was, you know, two elements. One, the squirrel hunting solo was my first first foray into that to keep me active, but it, it built my confidence as a deer hunter 
to navigate those woods solo as well too, or as a duck hunter, you know? Uh, on the other side of it, to teach other people how to hunt, which is a large thing we have to do, right? And we, when you become a teacher, there's a certain level that you're expressing you know about an activity or, or a subject, right? And so to mentor other people to become new hunters is a confidence thing, but also a knowledge thing. And pheasant hunting is like one of my favorite things. I can teach people how to shoot shotguns. I can teach people how to breast out a bird in a minute. Like these are the elements that I've kind of chosen for pheasant hunting to take people and teach them how to hunt because I found that it's a great introduction to it. And I have that confidence as that mentor and instructor on that subject to take people with me. Waterfowl hunting, that's my arena to like get better in my own skill and like focus on it together with my brother and stuff and other friends. It's not, I'm not a perfectionist there, but I'm much more confident as a small game hunter, as a pheasant hunter, as a deer hunter, um, but mostly small game. We had a um, young lady here in Nebraska and she had never hunted, in fact, never had shot a gun before. Last year about this time, she went on a uh, Become an Outdoor Woman squirrel hunt with us we went out one, actually only one day, hit up a public area real close to Lincoln. There was six, or, six of us groups, a mentored with um, a mentee, and not a single person saw squirrels, but the connections that was made between all of us out there. And she took, she had her mentor, she made that connection with her mentor. She learned the skill of how to squirrel hunt in that experience and she didn't have a chance to take a shot which was fine because in two weeks later just because of that experience that she had that connection that communication she honestly went out on her own two weeks later and harvest a squirrel on her own um yeah it was amazing and then she she did she followed youtube she followed platforms that she could learn herself she took that squirrel home and then what she posted on Facebook was this gourmet dish of what she created from squirrel. And I was like salivating jealously. Um, it was amazing. And now this year, all of a sudden she is posting pictures that she, of how she took, went from the squirrel experience to she harvested with a crossbow her own deer this year. She went out on her own and the story from this, what we thought was a simple squirrel hunt was a great experience from her. And now this year, um, nine months, 11 months later, she harvested her own deer. Wrapping this back out, this, this squirrel hunt got her out in the field. And now she is a deer hunter because of a squirrel hunt. It's very cool. So Sam, we have to ask, you've identified as a small game hunter. You've identified as a deer hunter, a waterfowl hunter. So I'm going to just back up and say, you're a hunter. You're a self-identified hunter. Like all of us, we, we have memories of, of being in the field. What would you say your uh, favorite memory is small game hunting? My favorite memory, small game hunting, uh, is going to come from any time I've taught people how to pheasant hunt through the CLFT program. Um, that's probably one of the favorite things I do as part of our profession. And so... To stop you real quick, what is CLFT? Sure. So CLFT is Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow. It's designed to take people in the conservation field who haven't hunted but would like to learn about it uh, and help them understand the role that hunting plays into wildlife conservation. They don't have to hunt when they come to the event. If they just want to know what that element it plays in conservation, the larger picture, 
they can come and attend. Oftentimes there is, uh, we shoot guns so they can get some gun safety. And then we pursue pheasant at the end of the week. Um, and it's through that I've taught, I often get the ladies and one of the only, one of the few ladies instructors, CLT has been adding female instructors, which bravo, it's been great. But I always get to work with ladies in our field who like US Fish and Wildlife Service employees or, you know, DNR employees. I love the questions they have. I love the ability to like talk I, about the experience. And they, I always get the, well, why do you do it? Is it, are you paid to do it? Like, nope, I just like it. That's probably one of my favorite experiences in small game honey is teaching our colleagues through small game about it in the interpersonal relationships we formed. I got many pictures on Instagram of the people we've connected with along the way. And to be honest, um, those relationships are carrying forward into this space. They'll text me five years later, they'll text me like, hey, I'm gonna go hunting now, what do I do? And I love that. And it's because of that small game hunt we went on together that played a role Probably my favorite experience. That's so cool. Um, we, I actually have a coworker who went through the Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow program. Um, she was a customer service rep for the uh, Iowa DNR and just wanted to kind of understand the bigger conservation message. So she went through the program and had never fired a firearm before, had never hunted, went on a pheasant hunt. And so now she's dabbling to the point where she wants to harvest a deer, but still is to the point where she, she's comfortable going out. She, she's comfortable sitting and she goes with a girlfriend and, and they, it's kind of a running joke at this point that they're okay sitting in and watching for nothing. They've never actually had the opportunity to take a shot, but kudos for them putting their camo on getting in the mindset, ready to go hunt, getting all their licenses and, and being out and present, ready for whatever comes. And, and they're, they, they kind of joke that they've learned so much um, failing that it's been super successful. Because like anything, uh, you know, if you ever put rollerblades on or roller skates, you weren't, you know, um, winning any Olympic competition, even though you watched it on TV and it looked so easy. I always thought ice skating looked so easy. It was just simple. I could do it. You know, triple Lutz got that. And then I couldn't even stand up. So like everything, you know, it, it takes failure um, and, and failure is good because you learn from it. So that's a wonderful memory. As we wrap up here, I just wanted to, to throw it your way, Sam, if there's anything else you wanted to, to share with us um, or it, knowledge you wanted to impart on the She Goes Outdoors podcast listeners or uh, anything. I do. I got two things I think will uh, take the theme of 2021. And as we go into the new year, um, one is modeling mediocrity. And um, this is a concept I've been thinking about, but it goes back to what we said about the um, you, what you just said about getting bruises before you, you run or getting hours in the field before you harvest. If you are a hunter and you are out there participating, document not just your harvest, but everything else about it too. Because if we are just regaled to talking about the deer we hunted or whatever, we're done. It doesn't matter. You can, you can spend all the time in the woods, but it doesn't matter because people aren't going to be able to connect with you. So model the mediocrity of the hunt just as much as the harvest. And then secondarily, I believe that things get trendy and then they explode. So we, ha we know that license sales are up right now. To what extent we're going to figure that out and we're going to figure out who these new participants are too. But that means that the possibility of somebody you know that's gone hunting, at least this year, is greater than ever before. 
So uh, it's a trendy thing, guys. Get out there and do it yourselves. And if you're taking your first steps, this podcast and other resources uh, are the way to do it. So be a trendsetter for 21 and try hunting. To end off, we're, we're trendy. So I have to admit, I've never, ever been accused of being trendy. Uh, I've usually just been this ship sailing their own its own path. So to be part of the group is kind of exciting. Um, for the first time ever, not the last kid picked in dodgeball. There you go. Accomplished. <laughs> so I, I to echo your sentiments, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge everyone. I'm a I'm a meat eater fan, and um, Steve Ranella is a huge huge upland uh, just small game hunter. There are so many amazing recipes out there, um, so many amazing photos, and to to kind of echo your your mediocrity, my favorite hunting photos are the pictures of the back of someone's head with trees in the distance and snow falling, uh, the sun rising or setting, geese overhead. The experience photos are, are really what move me and, and remind me that I do want to be out there. So I totally am going to echo your, your challenge to our listeners. My favorite picture when I was hunting is, was this squirrel hunt that I mentioned earlier. And um, our, we're sitting on the ground in our camo and I had brought a green heavy wool blanket when we were out there squirrel hunting and I had it laying on us and it was snowing and so here is I just took a picture of my feet and my mentee's feet and under this green camo blanket and the snow's falling on it. now yes definitely that those are the images that we want to see those are the trending images and I always tell people I mean I, so I've gone out on a couple different hunts to just experience and I never bow hunted. So I, I asked a friend who's a big bow hunter if I could go with, and it was like, yes, but you can't talk. You can't move. You can't do anything. I was like, this is not really enjoyable. Then I went with other friends, uh, waterfowl hunting and we got to be loud. You got to jump up out of your black. I was like, this is for me. And so the whole time I actually spent just taking photos of my feet in the blind, my head sticking up a little bit. So find your, find your thing. Small game might not, might not be it, but find your thing where you fit and don't be afraid to take photos. Uh, we all have our phones in our hand. I am just as guilty as, as the next person. So take those photos. And even if it's, you know, an acorn on the ground, capture it. Because those are the things that are going to remind you when you're stuck in the office, when you're back at work doing your mundane nine to five um, of, of what, you know, excites you. So quarantined too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're, wondering how long 2020 is going to last. So we have had such a great discussion today. Uh, we truly appreciate Sam Petter or Miss Samantha Petter joining us from the Council to Advance Hunting and the Shooting Sports. We hope that this kind of high overview of small game hunting triggers you to, to discover more. So there's tons of resources online. There's tons of videos, there's photos, whatever you need, start looking and, and reach out. Julia, Megan, Tana, myself are always a resource. We're always available. And, and that She Goes Outdoors social group that we're creating is always there. So we have the Becoming an Outdoors Woman program in all three states. We also have our Facebook and Instagram pages. So connect with us. We'd love to, to touch base and, and help you on your journey. As always, we thank you for turning 
tuning into this week's episode of the She Goes Outdoors podcast. Uh, please keep listening. We generally post once a week or as time allows. If you have a friend that's thinking about getting into hunting, uh, send her our way and, and we'd love to talk with you. And as always, share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Spoiler alert, She Goes Outdoors subscription box is out now. Uh, We have the outdoor cooking box. It's available now. So if you need that last minute Christmas present, Hanukkah present, get it ordered. Sgooutdoors.com. They'll be delivered here in February. As always, thank you for joining us and we will see you outdoors.